Today on Business Brunch, we're talking to the Managing Director of a highly specialised business based in Northwich that not only helps businesses add value prior to their sale, but also brokers the sale. On today's show, we're very pleased to welcome the MD of Ushita Limited, Mr. Paul Dodgson. Paul, welcome to Business Brunch. Nice to talk to you, Des. Thank you for having me. Uh, You're very welcome, Paul. As I've said, you you are the MD of a very successful and innovative business brokerage. But before we discuss the business, share with us the early years of your career and and what prompted you to start your own business. Well, my first job was uh, in a bank. Uh, I've since been cured, um, but I was a a (laughs) banker um, with Midland Bank and went through all the jobs from... Uh, serving on the counter to, I think, their very first paperless office back in the early 90s down in London, um, and then through head office uh, back to being a branch manager in South Manchester. But I'd always had a hankering to run my own business, I think, since school. Uh, I was the nerd in the library sort of saying, no, I really fancy starting a business. I don't want to be a footballer. So when the opportunity came from a customer of mine to say, do you know anybody who might want to be my financial director? We had a, we'd opened up a long chat and I really liked the sound of it. Um, so I joined him. Uh, his business was only six months old, um, but it was the opportunity to grow a mobility aid business. And I think we achieved 10 million within the first four years of sales. Um, so we grew it to that 10 million uh, per annum of sales. Um, and I stayed there for 10 years before deciding that it was time to actually be the sole owner of a business. Um, and I started looking. Um, and at that time, I found two businesses through business partnership. Strangely enough, I, we couldn't agree terms um, on what the sale should look like because of the how I viewed the business and how they viewed the business. Um, but shortly afterwards, the chairman of the partnership, who I'd been dealing with, rang me up and asked me whether I fancied joining and becoming a business broker. And that's really how I got into it. And it was a fascination in and around, actually, I can take what I've learned both from the theoretical of being a bank manager and the accounts and all of that sort of stuff with what I'd learned um, in being the FD of a high growth company and all the systems and procedures and people and how you manage all of that stuff. And I could then spread that expertise across many different businesses. What do you feel would be the the most important qualities that you've gained from your time in banking and working with with your colleague in business partnership that that have helped you most in starting your own business? If I just approached this as a bank manager, I would have come with all the technical skills, you know, about how to understand a set of accounts. Having been in business myself, although part shareholder in a, in a bigger concern, then you learn all the what life is like day to day. It puts the practical element in. Yeah. You know, so I designed and implemented, firstly, a financial accounting system. I computerized that. Then we put a computerized CRM system in. Then we had to get control of how we manage the engineers and their workloads and the salespeople as well. So, you know, at its peak, there were about 110 people in the organization. So it was about how do you build a business that can scale and what are the challenges of that? Um, so I suppose they were the, the key skills I learned. 
And you've said in your own words that a, a good business brokerage is hard to build. So on, on, the, yep. on the back of that, share with us how you managed to start the business. Where we were and where we are. I mean, when, we, when we started, we were advertising in Dalton's Weekly. Um, I don't know whether you remember that. I do yeah. remember that, yeah. Yeah, and it used to come out once a fortnight and we used to take adverts in it. And that was the approach to market. And we do none of that now. So the way the business started was it's a lot of outbound marketing and therefore it's high volume quality of anybody who's been through telemarketing and mail shots and they weren't really even email shots in those days they were just physical mail shots it's a lot of effort and it's a very small return it's a mass market tool but alongside that what you have to do is build your reputation with local professionals so our key people who would refer to us would be wealth managers who've got clients and they know when they're going to retire and they know what their goals and ambitions are and then we have the accountants who are often the first point of call for a, a business owner. And then solicitors as well, who if they speak to their customers about what they want to achieve with their business and where they're going, they'll get into those conversations. So our key objective running alongside the mass marketing stuff was to go out and build our local network across. And we started in Stoke, Cheshire, uh, South Cheshire and Manchester. And you've already mentioned some of the qualities that are needed to start a business. What would you say are the key qualities for an effective MD? Well, it's a strange one, this, but the best definition I heard uh, about somebody who is uh, an effective MD is the guy who keeps his hands in his pockets. And I came across this listening to a radio interview on the 7-7 bombings in London, uh, and there was a senior doctor there who was the overall response controller. And he said what he'd been taught in such responses is no matter how much he knew his skills he could apply to a particular patient, his job was to keep his hand in his pocket and make sure somebody else attended to that because whilst if he started to attending to that patient, he couldn't see what was going over in, you know, on the other side of the square. So I think that's what an MD is. It's a leader, keeps his hands in his pockets, doesn't do it himself, but sees the bigger picture and making sure that the resources and his, and the pe and his people have the resources to be able to tackle the immediate situation in their area of the business. Did you find that came second nature to you then? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much, uh, I'm a Virgo by birth. And therefore, I'm very much, uh, oh, I like to be into the detail. Uh, and I like to be, you know, I like to know what's going on all the time, every time. So it is a habit and a skill that you have to learn and train yourself in. And most business owners are absolutely the same, Dev. Um, they usually start their business because they're a technical expert in what they do. And that's the bit they enjoy doing, they're comfortable in. And it's that transition to get them from there to be an entrepreneur that is the key challenge, and that's really what adds value to their business, is get to get other people doing the do so that they're in the leadership position. In, in other words, uh, take the responsibility and, dele and delegate where possible. Train and delegate. One of the biggest things we recommend any MD of a business to do is go on holiday. And when you get back, see what's in the in-tray. Make a list of it. And try and figure out why you're being asked the question. Interesting. Is it, be is it because your people 
think you want to be asked to make the decision, in which case delegation, because they've provided the right solution. They just think you want to be asked. Or it's because they don't know how to solve the problem, in which case you've got a training issue. If you want to build a valuable business, that's one of the key tips I'd give. Excellent, excellent advice. Today we're talking to Paul Dudgeon, the Managing Director of Oshita Limited. Paul, the the procedure for selling a business can be a longer and winding road. So talk us through the process and give us an indication of how you help your clients attain the best price for their businesses. Well, this is interesting, Deb, because it's one of the things we've developed into our business over time. Um, When we became a business broker, we started a, a franchise with business partnership, which we're still in today, which is selling a business the most common call we would ever get would be i would like to sell my business right can you tell me how much it's worth certainly we can what have you done about preparing it nothing it's worth this that's not enough and we got very frustrated by that process because unfortunately in the marketplace we're in there are other people out there who will tell them what they want to be told and that they will get a lovely high multiple, whether their business is ready or not. And that's really where uh, Ashita came in, um, because we looked at it in 2014 and saw there was a a need to do the pre-preparation. And we came across a a tool called Value Builder, which would allow us to do that, and we became the first certified Value Builders in Europe in 2014 to deliver this service. So most business owners get to the door and say, I want to sell, I want to go now. And we're saying you need to be there for five years, up to five years beforehand. And the reason for that is you have to prepare two things. The first thing you have to do is prepare yourself. And that is about understanding what a good exit looks like. Most business owners have been steeped in their business for many years. And there's a deep emotional attachment to it. And some aren't quite ready to be divorced. What are they going to do afterwards? How much of their life and their social life hangs around their business and their employees? So that's something they've got to think about. What are they going to do afterwards? The next bit is, what about the money? How much do they need to be paid and when? And then the third bit is about who is a good buyer for their business? What's going to happen to their employees? Is it it could be bought by anybody and I don't care whether the place is shut down and all the employees are made redundant or more often is the case. No, the employees matter to me. They help me build this business. I want them looked after. Once the owners sort of started to think about their personal ready for exit, and that's a tool we've got and we help them go through that process, we can picture what a good exit looks like. And then we get onto the business and we'll benchmark the business and tell them where it is and where they stand in the eight key areas that makes a business investable. Because when you start a business, most business owners start it, as I said before, from the technician point of view. This is something I can do. I think I can do it better than my current boss, or I've been made redundant and I need to do it for myself, or I've got this great new idea and I want to deliver it to the market because it's going to be a world beater. That's where most people start a business. When people buy a business, there's, it's quite simply, they want to make money. And therefore, you have to have an investable business. And you have to build that so that when you leave, the business continues to demonstrate 
high potential and low risk. And if you can present that to the market, you will get on average 71% more value out of your business sale than if you just take it to market um, without any preparation. And the other key bit is you're more likely to get paid when you sell it, when you hand the keys over, instead of getting money afterwards. And if that's important to your pension, what you get on sale, then that's really what you're securing by putting the work in beforehand. Must come as quite a shock for a business owner then to be told that uh, he needs perhaps to hold on to the reins for a few years to, to ensure the business becomes saleable when he thought it was saleable already. It is, but you, you've got to look at it this way. And this again comes down to how much am I going to get on it? How much am I going to get when I sell and how much am I going to get paid over time? If you're going to get paid three years over time and entrust that the new owner is as good as you and will be able to do the business in the same way you do and won't, won't crash it into the wall, then you've got another three years waiting for your money anyway. Why don't you put that time in, retain it, retain the earnings and build it and bring it to market and get much more up front because you've prepared the business properly. So, yeah, unfortunately, sometimes it's our job because we have to be honest and realistic with our clients. And we will only take on clients that we feel we can help. If somebody's got a sky-high expectation, we'll tell them where they are, we'll tell them where they could be, and if we can't agree that that's what they want to do, then we'll unfortunately we'll walk away because we're a small firm, we're a small brokerage. We want to, we have only so much time that we can invest and we want to work with people who we think we can help deliver what they want, their success, their successful exit, rather than shooting for something that we don't uh, believe is possible. Very interesting. So let's talk about marketing now, how, how you actually market your business, how you reach out to prospective new clients, and also whether you've embraced the, the advancements in technology to fine-tune this process. It's an interesting question that we certainly, I think as I alluded to before, the technology behind our business has changed. You know, Dolphins Weekly and the newspaper adverts have long gone. Yeah, uh, and now it's all about the website, Google My Business, um, SEO, pay per click, and all of that sort of stuff. But where we've reached our business after investing in a lot of outbound marketing activity, that telemarketing, um, those mail shots, etc., they now form very little of our business. Most of our business comes from the network we've built from people who know us. People have seen us operate and said, you've done a good job for our, for our client or for that friend of mine. Can you now help me? So, for instance, we're talking to a chap who I used to be in B&I with about five years ago. I gave him a little advice on how he would build his business. Um, he's come back to me yesterday. He's now built it. He's now in the position he wants to sell. And he said, really love what you do, the way you talk to me. Can you help my friend? He's got an £8 million turnover business. And, and and he's looking over the next four or five years as the best way to get, you know, as, on how to get the best exit, because that's his ambition. And that's, that's lovely business to get, isn't it? it? It is, absolutely. And it's an interesting process, making your customers your best salesmen. Yeah. So do you, just on the back of that, do you think a business could rely exclusively on referrals? Not to, not to start with, particularly in our game. I think it depends. We've got, within business partnership, we've got uh, a chap who started up in Inverness. 
and he came to us very well networked and he used, leveraged that network to get off to a great flyer in his business. So, yes, you can, but you have to have that pre-existing network. Yeah. Otherwise, you've got to go back and do the outbound. You've got to get yourself in front of the accountants, the, the wealth managers, the IFAs, and start to build trust, and that takes time as well as use the more direct marketing methods I, I discussed before. Today we're talking to Paul Dodgson, the Managing Director of Oshita Limited. Paul, uh, Oshita places its customers at the heart of the business, and, and this is underpinned by the testimonials on your website. So talk us through what systems you, you have in place in order to achieve this high level of customer service. And, and consistently exceed customer expectations? Um, it's an interesting question, Des, because um, there's two aspects to this. Um, we've got a customer, a customer relationship management system. Um, through that, we give clients access to their little own password-protected portal on the website so they can see exactly what we're doing uh, in terms of what marketing we're doing for their business, what the responses is, who's responding, what they're saying about their business, so that we can keep open the communication. Yeah, And really, that's what it is. We build a bit more of a personal relationship, and that comes down to what I said before, which is, you know, there's just me and Alex in this business. We want a small handful of customers that we really think we can add value to. And to do that, we've got to have regular conversations with them about where their business sale is going, or how they need to improve their business and what they need to do. So for us, the telephone is probably the most important piece of technology. This matters to people, it's personal. So you've got to take that on board and therefore it's that personal touch that matters. And would you say that above everything else that you could do without um, reminding or a set of systems as long as you're maintaining good communication with your customer? Oh, absolutely not. Our CRM system manages inbound buyers. It helps us write all our sales details and send them out. It's a map. That online cloud system is at the heart of our business. But in terms of customer satisfaction, that is that final, that final mile of that personal communication and picking up the phone when you need to. Well, it clearly works because of the, the number of testimonials you've listed on the website. You've got... Mm -hmm. a, You've got a lot of very happy customers there. Well, well, <laughs> yes, it is. And it's a very rewarding feeling, to be honest, because you've not just helped them buy something or, you know, if you're on Amazon and it's a positive review, it's not a product or what have you. What we do shapes the rest of somebody's life. And that's something that it's important for us to always remember. Excellent. So over the, the previous 18 months, uh, businesses, and you don't need to be reminded of this, I know, but have <laughs> had to contend with the pandemic and, and more recently uh, Brexit, particularly if they're obviously importing and exporting. Uh, so share with us how it's affected Ushita and whether any of the changes that you may have introduced will be embedded in your systems uh, as we adjust yeah. to the, the new norm. Well, in certain aspects, we were, well, not fortunate, um, but we'd already, through uh, the introduction of GDPR, uh, embedded everything into a cloud-based system, which included Microsoft Office and Teams. 
So when it changed, the big thing was, the biggest challenge we had was, how do we persuade customers that we can't go and see who need to sell their business that we're the people to deal with? Now, Teams helps with that, but it's still not quite the same as a face-to-face meeting. Um, So I suppose that's been the biggest issue is just the break in the economy where people are pausing to see what happens next. Should I sell now? Shouldn't I sell? Who can I trust when I can't meet somebody? And I can't go and see their business. Um, my bank, I always remember my dad saying to me, because he was a bank manager before me, it's lovely having a set of accounts. It's lovely having conversations with the owner. But until you've actually walked around their factory, you you can't start to understand that business. Well, that's probably a slightly old-fashioned school of bank managering. Um, but I've found it always held true. I always get a better picture when I see somebody. So that's really been the biggest impact of the pandemic in that sense. It's just that it's harder to get to, and build that relationship that's key to what we do. And Brexit has affected some of our customers in terms of just disrupting product supply. And there's another one where it actually disrupted. They, they served hospitals. They just couldn't get into hospitals to serve them. So their turnover dropped. So we had two, three deals, I think, that were largely affected um, because of either Brexit or the pandemic. Um, we hope to bring those all back as soon as we go. I think we've got two overseas buyers waiting to get into the country to look at two businesses as soon as India and America are opened up, they will be over here to have a look at these businesses. So we've had some effects. But other than that, because of what we managed to do, we've had probably our most successful year in 2020. So it's not all doom and gloom. And do you feel that although Brexit has caused issues with businesses' supply chains, uh, do you feel that will subside eventually? We will find a way to solve the problems. There may be self-inflicted problems, and that's a whole other discussion. But we will find a way to solve the problems because we've got people to feed, an economy to move, and that's what I think we do well as a nation is, here's the latest hurdle, how do we get over it? Yeah. Yeah? And so, you know, it's it's about supply chain and getting it through the ports. I know it's been a big issue for some clients, and, you know, they've had boats stuck out in Felixstowe Harbour for four weeks, not able to unload because of a shortage of workers. Um, and then, obviously, the pandemic further field has hit the actual production of the parts. You know, so I think I've got a friend who once had a boat stuck in the Suez Canal, once stuck outside Felixstowe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was like it was like tearing his hair out at the top of the pandemic. And of course, we've we've got the the driver shortage as well. That's not helping, but and that's another one. And that's just we've got to you know. You've got to just take firm direct action to train more drivers. We need or admit that we need more drivers from Eastern Europe that we used to have that used to keep the economy moving. So yeah. there are solutions to these, but it's a question to think of how much politicians are prepared to uh, either put behind the effort or swallow their pride and go and admit, well, actually, we need a transition period here. But I am probably staying off topic there, Dave, into a, <laughs> into a whole new... And not everybody will agree with, agree <laughs> with me. <laughs> You're listening to Business Brunch, and today we're talking to Paul Dodgson, the MD of Ushita Limited. Paul, in, in 2020, you achieved your first £10 million business sale, so... 
share with us what plans you have in order to continue brokering these large deals. Well, we started the planning 2014, and it's really about if we can start speaking to business owners three to five years before they want to exit there and provide them with the right advice and guidance, they will come back to us. And I've already talked about the guy I saw a few years ago, BNI, and he's now come back and he's ready to sell. Um, and we've therefore, we've basically planted loads of seeds around Cheshire for people who are looking to exit in three to four years. So I already have visibility, which is unusual for a broker, brokerage, of the clients who are going to come back to me over the next two to three years. So we've already mapped that out. On top of that, continue to build the network. Uh, and even Alex will tell you that my time on the golf course is productive uh, because it continues to bring business in for us. And it's an acquisition. I think in the last three weeks, I've been introduced to an acquisition, an MBO um, through playing golf um, and also to a, another potential sale. And this is just building up connections. So that's what we'll continue to do. So well worth the effort then, having a, a round of golf. <laughs> I just need to get better at it, so <laughs> it's hard to win. It's hard to win friends and influence people if you're constantly frustrated about what you just did over a shot. And um, I thought it's a counter argument that you show your human side, which is what I understand you, you need to do in modern marketing. And, and of course, your business uh, excels at transparency, so you, you'd naturally be doing that anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, sometimes with the shots I play, it's impossible to hide. <laughs> I'm pleased with the outcome. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I won't. I won't ask you your handicap then. <laughs> a work in progress is that then? A work in progress. All right. Well, perhaps when when you're ready to to retire, you'll 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 have more time to um, to improve your <laughs> handicap. Away from the, the, the rigours of the business world, you, you support your local village in, in a lot of uh, different activities. So tell us how you unwind from doing business and make the most of village and rural life. Um, well, it, it, we've lived here, what, 26 years now, um, where we are. And in that time, I've been involved in beer festivals on the fate. Alex is involved in the local shop committee. Um, and we get, I think, um, I think we've got a big boys curry and uh, a big Santa's breakfast coming up uh, over the next couple of months as the village starts to open up again um, after the pandemic. So obviously it's been quite restricted. Um, but again, it's one of those things when, I, you know, when we first came to the village, they asked the volunteers for the face, we turned up. Um, and because you get in the volunteer, you get to know people, and you really become part of the community. And um, that's one of the things I think we like uh, about living in Antropos. Interesting. And having lived there for such a length of time, you you probably uh, find it difficult to leave if you ever wanted to move. It is a it is a hard one. You know, we we talk about we'd like to go out and, you know, if we had a house in Chester, we'd go to the theatre and do this, that and the other, you know, and it will be just that much easier and what have you. But you look at the cost of moving and the cost of a taxi and you think, well, if you do it once and twice a month, probably the cost of a taxi is cheaper. <laughs> Stamp duty and yeah. all the costs of moving. So you've got to sit through. And for the benefits we get here, of you know, because uh, obviously being in a rural community, getting out for a walk during this pandemic has been quite easy. There's plenty of places that we can walk um, our one a day or more when we were allowed. 
Paul, it's uh, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you today, and uh, and we do thank you for giving up uh, your time and giving us an insight into the world of business brokerage. So, should any of our listeners be interested in selling their business, where can they find more information about Ushita Limited? Simplest place is the website, um, and that's ushita.co.uk, and you'll see the range of services and the testimonials that we've got from our clients that you kindly mentioned before. And that's really the best place. Um, otherwise, just give us a call, uh, 01606 535 or look me up on LinkedIn, and that's Paul Dodgson, D-O-D-G-S-H-O-N. Um, I'm fortunate in having a really weird spelling of my surname, Des, that there's only one of me on LinkedIn. Well, that's, that's a saving grace, I think. <laughs> it is. It makes life a bit easier. <laughs> It's a pain spell, but it does it does certainly help you get getting found. Um and thank you very much for your time today, Dave. It's been nice to talk to you. Excellent. Thanks very much. Maybe you could come back again in a couple of years' time and tell us how you're getting on. Well, I might might come back when I've retired and achieved my goal. When I've done to myself what I tell everybody else to do. And that shouldn't be a problem, should it? Yeah, it shouldn't be, no. <laughs> <laughs> Only myself to blame if it doesn't work out. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Thanks very much, Paul. Okay. Cheers, Des.